You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Eric Coleman. Hello, 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 Long Island, New York. How are we all doing today? This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, the great Eric Coleman. What's going on, Eric? Ain't not much, man. Enjoying this Saturday night. You know, I'm excited. We had a, the, the sports started, basketball, baseball, you know, so we finally got something to talk about. So uh, I'm excited to, to chat with you today. I, I am too, man. It, it's great. And by the way, this is the LI News Radio Network. We are brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. We will be talking to former NFL and CFL quarterback Donald McPherson at 7.45 p.m., I am, I'm very intrigued on what's going on in sports, and we're going to get into that in just a few minutes. But how are you and your family doing over there in Florida? There's so much going on. I see your workouts, man. Uh, they're very intense. Your burpees, what do you do, 100 burpees in 10 minutes? <laughs> man, we're doing good. You know, my kids are staying active. Uh, you know, my daughter's swimming. Uh, my kids are doing tennis. My son's doing baseball. So it's nice. You know, they're, they're able to get out, be active. Uh, I'm trying to stay active myself. Uh, my goal you definitely are. <laughs> is to get back to my playing weight. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get back down to like 205. So, uh, you know, I've been working hard, man, working hard in the mornings, uh, trying to document my, my workouts on my social media and, uh, and just keep it going, man. Are you making a comeback? Is that what you're trying to tell us right now? Is the Oakland Raiders <laughs> going to re-sign you? Or maybe, maybe the New York Jets. I mean, you work for the Jets, so maybe they're looking for a strong safety, a.k.a. Jamal Adams. And we will get into that a little bit later. But, and I know you have your thoughts with Jamal Adams opening up on Woody Johnson. I am much, much, much uh, understanding of what's going on with the New York Jets. But... I do want to get into this particular story, and the New York Knicks are right now interviewing coaches. Uh, They interviewed over the last couple of days Kenny Atkinson. Kenny Atkinson has interviewed twice. Jason Kidd has interviewed twice. And Tom Thibodeau, we've been hearing story after story that they're negotiating a deal. But there was a story that came out about 24 to 48 hours that Jason Kidd is now the lead guy to get the job for the New York Knicks. And What bothers me about this story isn't the fact that Jason Kidd is not going to be a great coach for the New York Knicks. We saw him with the Nets. We saw him with the Milwaukee Bucks. He's right now the assistant coach for the L.A. Lakers. You heard what Anthony Davis said about Jason Kidd and and his growth as a player. Giannis has come out and said that Jason Kidd has a lot to do with his development as a player. I I look at Jason Kidd, not the fact that this guy can't coach. He's not one of the best NBA minds in NBA history. I I believe that he is. He's one of the best underrated point guards in NBA history. You can't argue that about him as a player. You can't argue that him as a coach either. The problem with Jason Kidd is what he does on and off the court. There are things that have come out over the years, not only drinking and driving or domestic violence situations. This is a guy that's been in the tabloids for years. And it throws me off him as a player 
and the growth at some of these young players that we're going to see with the New York Knicks, like R.J. Barrett or um, Dennis Smith Jr. I mean, there's so many different young players, Frank Nilakina, that the Knicks have that need to be developed. And I understand what Rose is trying to do. He's trying to do his due diligently. He's going out there. He's interviewing each guy and making sure he's going to make the right choice because we all know the Knicks have made very, very bad choices in the last 30 years. So, Eric, well, you know, Errol, I, I you think know. that, you know, it's, it's about living and growing. You know, Jason Kidd uh, is, is a guy who was an NBA, all-time NBA great point guard. You know, he went straight from the court, from playing to coaching to the sidelines. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You know, you have to make adjustments in your life. And, and what better person to relate to these young players and someone who's made those mistakes themselves? You know, he can relate to them. He can teach them uh, from his mistakes. And, and Jason Kidd is a guy who is a sexy pick. So now you have... Uh, you know, a, a coach that Giannis loves, LeBron respects, Anthony Davis. And if you get that New York Knicks jobs, what's the biggest thing that they want? They need somebody who's going to attract stars to New York. And Jason Kidd is going to be able to attract stars. He's going to bring great players to the to the garden. And that's that's the main goal that they're trying to to get accomplished here is bring some stars, bring some talent back to MSG. We do know who James Dolan is, don't we? And, and I don't care who it is. There is a lot of players out there that don't want to play for James Dolan, and it doesn't matter who you bring in, Tom Thibodeau, Jason Kidd, or Phil Jackson, or Pat Riley, whoever you bring to this team, it's going to be a huge problem bringing in free agents because the owner has his own thoughts with certain players, certain ethnic groups, and racist remarks he said over the last couple of years. And I don't care what anybody says about James Dolan. James Dolan knows how to open his pockets, but he doesn't know when to shut his mouth. He's been a well, part of Well, yeah, I mean, but you got to think as a player, uh, yes, that's going to bother you. You know, you know, I'm, the, the ownership is, is you know, questionable. You know, I, I, don't, I don't agree with the way that he goes about life. But at the end of the day, who are you going to be dealing with every day? Who are you going to be sleeping with? That's the coach. You know, you're going to be with the GM, the coach, you know, the, the players around you. So at the end of the day, if they bring in a great head coach who, who James Dolan lets him run the ship, you know, they have, you know, a good president. Uh, I, I think players will overlook the ownership. You know, that's somebody you just have to deal with. And most guys don't even talk to the owner. So I, I think that if you get a guy like Jason Kidd in here, you're going to attract some stars and, and get the Knicks back to, you know, being in the playoffs every year the way that they should be. He's very good with big men. We saw what he did with Giannis. Anthony Davis has spoke highly about him as a coach, a bench coach. And you got guys like Mitchell Robinson, who's a big man that needs to develop a shot, needs to develop an offensive game. The guy's a great rebounder. He's a great defensive player. And I know Jason Kidd, in his own way, preaches defense. He was a very good defensive player as a point guard in the NBA with the Dallas Mavericks. He even came over to the New York Knicks, and he was a great player for the, the New Jersey Nets when they were in New Jersey. But I look at this team. This is a young, young team. And a lot of these guys haven't developed. Uh, You have some veterans like Todd Gibson over there. And Kevin Knox, who everybody thought was going to be a good young player that they drafted a few years ago. Scott Perry believed in him, and he decided to draft him uh, as a lottery pick where they could have went after other players, more talented players. Well, he observed guys like Kevin Knox and thought Kevin Knox was going to be that type of guy where he can give you 15 and 10 and be that type of player. But again... When you're looking at the big picture right now, this New York Nick team hasn't made the playoffs in, in, what, five years, four years? They have not been there, and and this is a problem year in and year out. I think they're still paying uh, Derek Fisher. 
They're still paying David Fisdale. And I, I look at the Knicks as a whole right now. The problem with James Dolan is he has looked at all these different players and these different coaches year in and year out, thinking that he's going to bring in a superstar player to help out and help build this team. The last superstar player he brought in that wanted to play for the Knicks was Amari Stoudemire. How long was he there with the New York Knicks? How good was he there with the New York Knicks? One year, two years before his knee gave out again? This is a problem for the New York Knicks, Eric. Yeah, I, I mean, it's tough. It, it's tough when you when you, you bring in stars and they don't perform up to their expectations. But, you know, I, I think that they're uh, trying to make the right decisions. They're trying to, to right their wrongs and bring in some talent, you know, from the coaching perspective. They're trying to bring people up in upper management to attract, to, to relate to these players, to relate to the culture uh, of basketball right now. And I think that they're they're making the moves. Hopefully, they they bring a guy in like Jason Kidd, you know, to to, to, to be there. You like Jason Kidd? Because you like Jason Kidd? Me? You like Jason I Kidd? I do. I love Jason Kidd. I mean, over Tom Thibodeau, Kidd. you would take Jason Kidd over Tom Thibodeau. You know what? The, the only thing. So I love Tom Thibodeau as a coach. He's a great defensive mind, a uh, great coach. My only problem is is that at times you've seen that he can't relate to the players, you know, and that's the biggest, you know, th- these NBA players are different than us, than us football players. Mm-hmm. You know, football players have to earn, I mean, not, not saying that the NBA players don't earn everything, but they're more catered to growing up, you know, going through the, going through college ranks, going through high school and the AAU, they're more catered to. So you have to be able to manage their personalities because they're different. They're different. They're superstars. Mm-hmm. We grew up in the team atmosphere. It's always been hard work, hard work, hard work. That's the only way that you get it. And, it, and it's kind of like a yes, sir mentality, like a military mentality when you're a football player. So in order to attract these good players, you need a good personality that's going to cater to the egos of the NBA players. And I think Jason Kidd can relate better than anybody. You know, he was a star in this league. He was a great player. He is a great coach. He, he's developed some of the top talent in the NBA. So if you're now you're a good player, uh, you know, you would want to come play for a coach like that who can relate to you. Tom Thibodeau is a grinder. He, he's an old school coach. You know, he, he's like, you're going to play defense defense first then you're going to get your buckets you know and, and I think that sometimes that rubs players the wrong way and it could be a problem in the, in the future but I, I definitely think he's an amazing coach but if you're the New York Knicks you need talent you need to attract talent and who's the best guy to do that I believe it's Jason Kidd I, again I, I don't think Jason Kidd is not going to draw talent the problem with Jason Kidd in the big picture, is what he does on and off the field, on and off the court. And I know it hasn't happened over the last couple of years, but when he was out here when he played for the New York Knicks, he was out in the Hamptons crashing his car into a tree and getting drunk. This is the problem with I worry about New York Knicks coaches. Derek Fisher, he was sleeping around with other people's wives. The Knicks have brought in stupid, dumb people to run this organization, and now you see where the organization has lied. The last time they made the playoffs was when the Knicks won 54 games with Carmelo Anthony when he was Offensive Player of the Year, or he, he was uh, he, he scoring. He won the scoring title. So this is the problem with the Knicks. They need this is this is the mecca of basketball. And everybody knows Madison Square Garden is where everybody likes to play. The only problem now with Madison Square Garden, nobody wants to play there for the Knicks. They'd rather play against the Knicks and beat the hell out of the Knicks in a game because they can't stand the ownership. They can't stand the executives running the organization. There, there are so many things that happened with the New York Knicks over the years with Isaiah Thomas, the sexual harassment situation. There's, there's nothing good with this organization. You need to find the right guy that's going to be the drill sergeant 
And they need a drill sergeant. These young players need a guy that's going to tell them, you need to do this. If you don't do this, you're not playing. And Tom Thibodeau is that type of guy. Wow, Eric, breaking news for the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks have a new head coach, and it's not Jason Kidd, and it's not Kenny Atkinson. It is Tom Thibodeau. He signs a five-year deal with the New York Knicks to be the new New York Knicks head coach. It's great news for all you New York Knicks fans. Now the Knicks can move forward, and they know who their new head coach is going to be. When we come back, we are going to get into the NBA bubble And we're going to get into this whole Washington football team debacle here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Long Island, Strong Island. We're happy to be here for all the fans being the voice of sports here on the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'll tell you this, Eric. I was over there in Patchogue this past, I think it was yesterday. I was there 24 hours ago, and I was walking down the town, and it doesn't look like a ghost town anymore with everybody wearing their mask. I would have never thought in my wildest dreams in my lifetime, being that I'm a Long Island native, I'm from Patchogue. I was down Patchogue. I was trying to look at some restaurants that were opened. And how many people are just walking around with no masks? And you know COVID-19 is going on. And I understand that people can't breathe in those masks. I've seen a lot of people run with masks on. But when, when people are hanging out with family or they're hanging out with friends, they should be wearing masks in the public area. And for some reason, I don't understand, in Patchogue, they're not doing that. So I know you, your family owns a restaurant in Patchogue. What are your thoughts to what's going on right now in the world and here in Long Island with the COVID-19 situation? And I know it's slowing down. I know it's calming down over here. But it is bothering me right now because I was out there. I saw it. And I just want to know your opinion towards it. It's a tough scenario, you know, and, and one that is, is since everyone is sensitive to. But me personally, when I'm walking around outside with my family, I'm not wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go inside, you know, when things are confined, I throw my mask on, you know, as quick as I, you know, as soon as I walk through the door. But, you know, walking around outside, I think it's important for us to expose our immune systems to what's going on. Not to COVID necessarily, you know, keep your social distancing on. I do think that it's important for you to go out there and breathe fresh air, to be exposed to different germs. Your body is strong. We're built to break things down and I'm no doctor and I'm not trying to act like I know more than anybody. Dr. Coleman. <laughs> when I'm walking around outside, I'm not wearing a mask. But you're in Florida. It's dangerous over there. I have my, my own opinion on that, <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of space out here. I you got know, you. There's a lot of room to walk around. There's not a lot of space out here, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we're not jam-packed, you know, so it's nice to have that space, but I'm excited to get back to New York pretty soon, man, but we do have to get rid of this. Everybody has to do whatever they can to flatten the curve, mm-hmm. and if that means throwing on your mask, then, then throw on your mask. Did you hear about this story? Sports Illustrated swimsuit model Samantha Hoops poses for the 2020 issue four months after giving birth. Could you imagine wow. that? That's amazing. We have three kids and my wife is in amazing shape, but it was a grind to get back in shape. She busted her butt, but four months, that's unbelievable. And I give a lot of credit to her for snapping back like that. She must have good trainers. That's for sure. <laughs> and good genes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I want to get into the NBA and this bubble league and, and they're starting preseason games, workouts. And you heard about Zion Williamson leaving the bubble. He had to go take care of some family issues. He came back yesterday and now he has to be quarantined for the next two weeks before hopefully when the season starts, 
starts. But there are stories coming out that a lot of players are leaving the bubble right now, going out to different restaurants that they want to check out, Dwight Howard being one of them, not wearing their masks. After going back to the bubble, they have to be quarantined for the two weeks because they were out there amongst other people where some of these players, before they got into the bubble, had the COVID-19 test and were tested and absolutely negative, not positive from COVID-19. My problem here right now with the NBA is why is there not security or cops closing up these sectors where the players cannot leave the bubble? I think that when you look at Orlando, especially how it's COVID-19 is completely spreading over there in Florida, especially in Orlando, why are they not stopping the players from leaving the facilities over there for, for the bubble league? The players aren't hostages. They're still free. They did agree to stay in the bubble, to take care of one another, to be responsible and accountable for each other. But at the same time, they're still volunteering. Uh, to be in there. Eric, they're getting paid for it too. Look out for your brothers and and the guys who you're going to compete against and keep everybody safe. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like you can just, you know, pull a gun on somebody when they want to leave the bubble. (laughs) You know, it's going to take accountability and not being selfish in those situations and thinking about others and putting them ahead of yourself. You know and I know these guys are getting paid, Eric. And I understand what you're saying. They're not hostages. They should be allowed to leave with their families out of the bubble if their families... I'm I'm not saying they should be allowed to leave, but, like, they can't put an armed guard and say you can't leave. (laughs) (laughs) It just throws me off because you're looking at Zion Williamson. I understand Zion Williamson had to go home to his family. Uh, I don't know the situation that he, that was entailed uh, when he went to the Pelicans and told the Pelicans that he has to leave and he has to take care of family situation. But he came back and he's quarantined for two weeks. And he already came out and said that he's not going to leave the bubble. He's going to stay where, stay put where he is. And hopefully after he gets the COVID-19 test, a test in the next day or so, and he tests negative, he sits back and he relaxes and hopefully doesn't have COVID-19. But I do look at this whole bubble league and hub league with the NHL. Uh, I decided not to go to Toronto or Edmonton for the NHL playoffs. Uh, they invited me. The NHL invited me as a, a press uh, to go over there and do what I did last year for the NHL playoffs and the NHL Stanley Cup. And I decided that I didn't want to fly to Toronto. I didn't want to fly to Montreal or any or even drive over there because if I came back over here, I'm going to be quarantined for two weeks. And I don't want to be quarantined because traveling, if you travel to any state or any country, as soon as you come back to your state, you're quarantined. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that situation. And I don't want to catch anything. I know there's an outbreak in different countries and different places of the world. And and being that there's so many people, so many athletes in the same area, there's a bigger chance of you catching COVID-19. And thank God I haven't had COVID-19. I I know people that have had COVID-19. Not that I'm worried about it, but you have to be worried about it. Because to me, when you look at all these athletes and you look at the situation that you could put your families in, as you know, Eric, you got a family. I don't want to put my family or my friends at risk when I come back from the NHL playoffs. So I decided to pass on going to the NHL playoffs, which everybody thinks I'm nuts, but I decided not to do it. And it's same thing when you look at this league, the bubble league. I disagree with the NBA. I don't understand. And I, I, I understand what you're saying. They're not in jail. But sometimes when you're getting paid for what you're doing, and you decided that you were going over here to the Bubble League, you could have you told your teams. There are a lot of players that have come out. There are NFL players that well, came out. And my, and my thing is, like, if you want to leave the bubble, you understand the rules. So you understand if you leave that bubble, when you come back, you're going to be out for two weeks. So who am I affecting? Am I being selfish and just going out and doing my thing? Or do I have to make sure that it's something that's big enough for 
I can let down my teammates for two weeks because these guys are counting on you. Accountability is a, is a big part of that brotherhood of playing basketball, playing sports in general. We've been busting our butt all off season. We've been getting in shape together. We've been preparing. We're trying to make a championship run. And I go out of the bubble and go do my thing and come back. And now I got to be out two weeks. What are my teammates going to look? How are they going to look at me? You know, let's forget about, um, you know, the, the safety aspect of it. You're letting, you know, a, a whole organization down because you're selfish and you want to go leave and you want to go kick it and get something to eat or go hang out somewhere. So I, I think that when you put that into it, you know, a guy like Zion, yes, he had a family issue. You can't blame him. And he said it, when I come back, I'm staying here. I'm staying put. I'm going to grind. I'm here for the, the season. I'm here for my teammates, for my brothers. And I think that that's the, that's the mindset that all these guys are going to have, you know, the, the selfishness. Once this season starts, it's going to be on. These guys aren't going to be leaving. They're going to be locked in, focused on a championship, tr focused on trying to get that ring. And so I think you'll see less, you'll hear less stories about guys leaving here and leaving there and putting their team and the whole league at risk. I do want to get into a little bit with this Daniel Schneider story. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Besides the fact that the Washington football team decided not to uh, change their name yet. Well, they're, they're not called the 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 Redskins anymore. They're called the not uh, the Washington football team. And a lot of fans, a lot of Washington fans have come out and said that they don't like the fact that there is no, there's no logo, there is no name, new name change. This has been going on for two years, Eric. And the fact that the Washington football team and Daniel Schneider hasn't thought of a logo or as a team name change or whatever they were deciding or trying to decide what they were going to change it to over the last couple of years, it's amazing how two years later – there is still no name. There is still no change of colors. Or, and there are people that have come out and said there is XNFL. Uh, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was Mann, the XNFL player, that came out and said that he thinks the colors should be changed too. He doesn't like the colors. He thinks the, the colors are not the right colors for the team. And it, it's not right that they're using those colors for the team. So I'm kind of flabbergasted when I, when I look at what's going on with Daniel Schneider, not only with the sexual harassment, uh, the Jay Gruden story that's coming out. There, there are stories coming out that Jay Gruden, they, one of the main reasons why, not the fact that the team wasn't playing well, because Daniel Schneider loved Jay Gruden. The fact that Jay Gruden got fired was mainly because of all the things that were going on and off the field with some of the players, some of the players' girlfriends, and some of the sexual harassment stories that were coming out from the team and the executives and even the coaching staff. Yeah, Errol, man, I, I think that the name change situation, uh, listen, the Native American community has been upset with this name for a long time. You know, people have been raising issues for forever. And I, I think it's pure arrogance, you know, for them not having a name right now mm -hmm. for them to be named the football team and, and not have a, a backup name is arrogance. They didn't think, you know, Daniel Schneider didn't think that this is going like, to, I don't have to change my name. I, this is my, this is my football team. I do what I want, you know, and it was just pure arrogance. And it wasn't until this uprising that now you, now your hand is forced. And so you not being prepared makes you look, look ridiculous as an owner. You know, you, you don't have a backup name after all these years of people, you know, complaining and petitioning and crying about the name of your team and how racist that name is, and you don't have a backup name, you're, you're going to go by the Washington football team. That sounds crazy to me, and it's nothing but arrogance. Uh, they've been arrogant since day one. Since Daniel Schneider took over the team in 2002, I think it was. 
He, he has been arrogant as, a, as an NFL owner. And really, how he, how he brings in players, free agents, paying them, overpaying them. And I understand what you're going to say. Uh, if if the, player, the player deserves the money, the player deserves the offer. So no matter what the owner offers them, if, if, the, if they're offering that kind of money, they should take it. But he's overpaid players that don't deserve the money. Uh, Landon Collins got an $86 million contract last year. And I'm not saying Landon Collins isn't a great player. He's a great player. But is he... Uh, every year, all pro, pro ball player. He isn't. To get $86 million as a strong safety in the league when he is not even compared well, no, to. Don't talk about my safeties, man. The I'm safeties just, I'm the just most saying. Money out of everybody. I'm just saying. Do you really think that Landon Collins was the, should be the highest paid safety yeah. in the NFL? Yeah, you, you, you're damn right. He, he's, a, he's a pro ball player. He's a baller. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a great player. And that's the way the market goes. You know, you keep setting the bar. You keep resetting the bar. Jamal Adams is going to be the next highest paid safety. And it's going to keep going up. Not with the Jets. Younger, <laughs> and it's all about your timing. It's, it's less about talent and it's more about your timing. And Landon Collins hit it at the right time. If the Redskins weren't going to pay him, somebody else is going to pay him that money. I don't think anybody was going to pay him $86 million. That's why he chose the Redskins. I, I, I really believe Landon Collins wanted to stay with the New York Giants, but the Giants weren't offering him anywhere close to that money. They were going to franchise him. He didn't want to get franchised, so they decided to let him go. And then he went to the Washington Redskins, and he told the Giants that you're going to regret not signing him. And has the Giants regret not signing him after the first year he played with the Reds, Washington Redskins? Absolutely not. He has not produced what they thought he was going to produce in the first year being the Washington well, no Redskins strong safety. <laughs> no one has. Uh, well, that's true, too. <laughs> Everybody that goes to the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Browns always die. They, they always do. They disappear. They absolutely disappear. Go name. We can go up and down the rosters of the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Browns, some of the great players that have went to those teams after leaving their respectable teams and never produced, never did anything, completely disappear. And then they go back to their teams three, four years later, wishing and regretting leaving those teams, those organizations. Yeah, well, it's about culture, man. You know, when I, I tell you this, I've told this story before. When I went to the Detroit Lions, you know, it was a completely different culture, you know, from the top all the way down you know when we went to green bay to play the packers everybody in the organization that week everybody got tight everybody was concerned everybody was scared and nervous and as a player you're like yo we're just playing a football team and they're looking at it like man you know it's a different feeling and this is the the from the top of the organization all and it works its way all the way down to the players it's it's a it's a culture thing and in order to change the culture, you need new management. Sometimes you need new ownership, and you, and you definitely need a new coach to set that tone and change the culture of your organization into a winning attitude. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, me and Eric will be talking to former NFL and CFL quarterback Donald McPherson here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. This is 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. As you guys know, we are brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have our very special guest. I was very intrigued when I heard we were going to get him on the show. We are now talking to former NFL and CFL quarterback Donald McPherson. What's going on, Donald? No, not much. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you and your family doing with this pandemic? Everything's good. We locked down really early and paid attention and, and followed the rules and doing okay. Well, that's always good. I mean, I'm not hiding on my, under my desk right now, so that's a good thing. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, 
I've been really worried about walking outside the door. I, I work at a hospital during the day, so I, I'm wearing double the masks because I'm just afraid to walk through the door. I'm washing my hands. And uh, there's just this – everything that's going on right now with this pandemic is completely throwing me off as a professional radio show host and really uh, trying to stay within my means so I, I don't get this, uh, this virus or this disease. So why don't we get into your career? Tell us a little bit about your NFL career, your growth as a quarterback uh, coming from college and, and going to the NFL. My NFL career really wasn't, wasn't much to speak of, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I, was, I was drafted uh, by the Philadelphia Eagles in 1988, and I was a backup to Randall Cunningham uh, there in Philly, and, uh, and then went to Houston for a year, was a backup to Warren Moon there. So um, it, my, my NFL career was, was sort of anticlimactic following what was a Hall of Fame college career. So, Don, uh, I mean, let's talk about a little bit after football, coming out, writing a, an amazing book, talking about, uh, you know, feminists and gender roles. You know, I have two daughters, so, you know, this really, you know, when I heard that, it, you know, it really got my attention. You know, what got you onto that path after playing football? I retired from football in, in 1994, and I went to Northeastern University to the Center for the Study of Sport and Society to work with a guy named Richard Lapchick, who uh, many people in New York might know that name because his dad was the first head coach and general manager of the New York Knicks, and uh, a guy doing a lot of work around racism in sports, so is, is one of the foremost voices out there. And uh, But when I got there uh, to, to Northeastern, I met a guy named Jackson Katz, who introduced me to the whole issue of, of men's violence against women and masculinity and uh, things that I had never discussed, never examined. I've been working in schools since, since I was a sophomore in college at Syracuse University and uh, never thought about masculinity, what it meant to be a man, and, and what impact that view has on women and, and issues of, of men's violence against women. And so um, it, was, it was an eye-opening uh, moment for me, and, and it was... Uh, it's been the last you know, quarter century, century of my life doing work around gender-based violence and, and masculinity. And what's what's really expanding in that work is not just the issue of men's violence against women, which is what brought me to the work, but but also the conversation around masculinity, which gets into so many issues that you know that we deal with in in, in football. Everything from you know, how do we deal with injuries, how do we deal with with depression, how do we deal with life after the game. Uh, there's just so many ways in which it intersects with, with the lives of athletes. Donald, with CTE going on with the NFL and the NFL trying to figure out some new rule changes and, and transition the game to save and, and sa- make the game safe, what are your thoughts with some of the players that you played with that have come down with CTE, brain damage, brain trauma? What, what were your thoughts when you heard about CTE and the backlash behind it? You know, I I think that that obviously CT is is a, is a is a real condition, but I think there are, there are bigger issues when you talk about what uh, what players are, deal with in terms of their their mental and emotional health. I don't believe that CT is, is the reason behind the suicides. I, I have thirty two guys that I played ball with. I'm sure Eric, if you go and think about how many guys you played ball with in college and pros, how many of them are dead? And, and I have 30, actually 33 guys that I played ball with in, in, in NFL, CFL, and, and college who were dead. And it's not all brain injuries and guys can suicide, although there were six suicides among, the, among that, that number. Um, in many cases, it's guys who just did not take care of themselves and did not ask ask for help. Even the suicides and some of the, the more famous suicides will point to CTE, will point to head injuries. But we won't point to depression. We won't point to financial problems and marital problems and, and 
professional problems, a lack of identity and loss of identity. You know, Junior Seau talked about how no one knew him in the airport. Think about the loss of identity for some for so many guys who, who live a life in, in, in the light, and all of a sudden you're nobody after the game. And so there's so many other issues more than just head injuries that, uh, that, that are the reason that we can do something about. I, I, I played football since the time of uh, uh, 10 years old to, to, to 29 for 19 years. Uh, banging my head against and multiple, multiple concussions. If, if concussions are the reason for CTE, that the reason guys are, are losing their lives, I would be dead. Uh, and I just wrote a book. And so there are things you can do, and, and I think that, that we have to pay more attention uh, to who players are as whole people and not just as the warriors on the field because that's what makes them vulnerable. No, I couldn't agree with you anymore. You know, I know that when I stepped away from the game, I definitely struggled with my identity. It was, you know, who am I? You know, I always consider myself as more than a football player, but, you know, stepping off the field, it was like, okay, what am I now? You know, my identity has changed. Like you said, I've been playing football. I've been noticed. I've been, you know, people know me as the football player and now my identity has changed and the depression creeps in and and things kind of snowball from there. If you don't get a hold of it. Uh, and, And I think that, you know, we had Tony Richardson on a call last week, and he's a part of the NFL Legends community, and they're trying to be proactive in helping players uh, transition out of the game and find, you know, give them counseling, marital counseling, uh, you know. And, and it's, it's a wonderful thing that the NFL is, is taking charge and, and taking the proactive um, approach on post-football. But, you know, I, I wanted to get back. I know that you're involved heavily in college football. Uh, with COVID going on, you know, with universities shutting down, what are your thoughts on, a college football season, what do you think that they should do going forward? And uh, and, and I'll let you take it from there. It's something that, that has been uh, something I've been focused on uh, very acutely. I, I spend most of my time traveling and speaking to college campuses, so I work closely in higher education. Um, I also do some consulting work on, on emergency preparedness for large venues like stadiums. And I can tell you, I, I don't think there's going to be a college season. Um, I just I, I don't even think they, they're going to get off the ground in, in college. I think as soon as you bring student athletes back, we've already seen it. We've already seen them bring them back, and, and, and all the, the multiple tests, positive tests that, that have come up. Uh, it's not going to be up to the schools. People think it's going to be up to you know guys like Greg Sankey and other conference commissioners. It's not. It's going to be up to the states uh, and the board of health and the board of health. And, and if, if they say you can't gather in ten or more, well, there goes football. And and so. Um, you know, there are going to be, I think, a number of, of, of factors that are going to impede the season. I, I don't think that uh, most of higher education will come back in in-person classrooms. So uh, there's a, a real uh, precarious place that college football and a lot of the major institutions find themselves in in their overdependence on college football uh, financially. Actually- it's going to expose uh, some really big issues with with COVID. When you look at athletes playing college ball, do you think that college athletes should get paid? Uh, There is so much going on right now in the NCAA. Some players being suspended or or, uh, hearing stories with the NCAA with basketball. Some players getting $100,000 to come and play for their organization, play for their school. Do you think college players should get paid? No. But but, but let me expand that because I've said – uh, for the last 20 years of my life on this conversation uh, because I don't I don't believe that, that athletes should be paid. I think what we should do and what higher education needs to do is make good on the first promise. The only thing any college coach has ever promised a, an athlete to recruit with is the opportunity to compete 
get an education. And we failed on the latter. We failed on, on the and listen, no one's no one's asking should volleyball players or softball players be paid. Let's be very blunt about who we're asking, who we're saying we should be paid, and where the name, image, and likeness legislation is coming from. It's coming from the, the, the blatant exploitation, primarily, of black athletes in football and basketball that are going to, to predominantly white institutions and coming out of those institutions without a people education, while the schools are making millions and millions, if not billions of dollars in, in, in aggregate. So the the conversation about being paid is, to me, is let's educate them and include them in the business that they are driving. And that's the education that I believe is more valuable than any money you can pay an athlete in, in, in four years of college. And, you know, realistically, they're, they're going to play you know, two of the four or five years that, that you get them on the field. And so there, I, know, and I know it's a great argument, hey, throw money at the problem. The reality is what they need, what, what, what student athletes need, and what people need more than throwing money at the problem is education. You know, I, I like in the, the argument of paying them to, you know, a kid who really needs the attention of the parent, but the parent just throws money at them and says, go to the mall. And, and the reality is that the colleges need to do a better job of, of educating, preparing student athletes for life, life after the game, life after the sport. And, and that, to me, is, is, is the first promise that they need to make do on before they start throwing throwing other solutions that take them away from the value of education. The education is way more valuable than the dollars you can throw at a kid. Donald, there's a lot of players that only, they're really, especially in college football, they play, what, two years of college football, and then they go into the NFL draft. Some obviously go for their college education, and they want to finish their college education before they have the opportunity to play professional sports. My problem is, is why are college athletes, college students, not allowed to go over to an autograph session and make some money off of their autographs or their jersey signings? I, I understand that the college, and you don't think the college should be paying the players out of their pockets. But if the players want to make some money on the side where they can pay for food or pay for, uh, pay for a car bill or pay for some gas money or whatever they're trying to use the money for. Don't you think the players should be allowed to use that opportunity for their fame to go out there and make some money on the side? There's no question about it that the, that the name, image, and likeness legislation and is, is coming from that place that, that, that you're speaking of, that place where they, they should be allowed to go do those things. And the, and the reality is they, they should be. Yes, absolutely. There's no question they should be. The question is, how do you do it? And how do you, and, and, and the problem that's, that, that, that we have now, because the schools, and, and quite frankly, the schools have, have created this problem, uh, have not wanted to include student-athletes in the business that has grown around them. And then, quite frankly, they've been in, in many ways responsible for, the, for its, its growth. They don't want to include them in the business. And so what you're saying to that athlete is, we have this multi-million dollar enterprise that you're at the, you're at the center of, but go into a third marketplace and find your own money. Go into the third marketplace and find your own deals. As long as they don't conflict with us, as long as you don't use our markets and, and show your affiliation with, with our institution, you go make that deal. Well, that's a heady thing, one, to, to, to tell an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid to go out and make their own deals. And two, it misses the opportunity to include them in in the business. And the reality is there, there aren't going to be many. It's a great argument from the outside. There really aren't going to be many student athletes out there who are going to demand a big number based on their their second year at you know Syracuse University 
I, you know, I'm I'm not going to make you know a significant amount of money. I got to go out and hustle. I got to go out and make that money. And that's why I'm, that's not why I went. I went to college. I'm going to college to hustle to try to make a few extra dollars off my you know my name as a football player. I wanted to get to get an education. Should be focused on getting an education and playing the game. Donald, before we let you go, I, I want to talk a little bit about your book. And you, you were speaking to you, when Eric asked you the question a little bit about your your book. And, and if you guys don't know what his book is called. It's called You Throw Like a Girl, The Blind Spot of Masculinity. Masculinity. So tell us a little bit about your book and why you decided to write this book. I actually wrote the book many years ago, back in the early 2000s. Um, and, and it was, as I said, when I retired, I learned about this issue of, of violence against women, sexual domestic violence, and, and all forms of men's violence. It was an eye-opening experience, and I had to learn, and I had to think about when I learned what it meant to be a man, and how did I learn it. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't deliberate. It was sort of inferred. And, and, and what kept coming back to me was that language that I heard as a little boy. And you throw like a girl was this really profound statement that I kept hearing, uh, you know, as I thought about when I learned what it meant to be a man. And so that's where it comes from. There's a, uh, a clip that, that's from a film based on my book on my website, which is DonMcPherson.com. Um, and, and the clip is, is a scene from The Sandlot when the boys are taunting one another, and I, I liken it to the scene in Braveheart where the two armies square off and they throw insults back and forth. And, and the ultimate insult that is levied is, you play ball like a girl. <laughs> and, and that language uh, it does two things immediately. This is a book based on you know, a lecture I've been doing for about 20 years on college campuses. The first thing is that boys learn to man up, to suck it up. Um, and, and that really rigid understanding of masculinity to be tough, strong, don't cry, don't back down. By the way, this is linked directly to issues around head injuries and concussions and guys saying, hey, I need help. I'm struggling. I can't do this. I need, you know, don't, we, we don't, we don't, we're not nurtured and, and learned to ask for help, to seek help. And so that's the first part of the, uh, and that's the blunt spot of masculinity because it, a real man is a tough, strong, don't back down guy. Black guy's an idiot. Right, that guy who can't ask for help, that guy who who's going to, and, and he's going to get himself into trouble, and that's the blind spot, right? The blind spot is that there's there's privilege in that, there's success in that, but there's also a lot of pain in that, a lot of pain that you cause yourself. And the second part of you throw like a girl is that it wouldn't be an insult to a boy to call him a girl if the attitude was that women and girls are less than. And that was fundamentally, fundamentally at the core of violence against women, our attitudes about women, our attitudes about their welfare, about their rights. Uh, it gets into to gender equity issues and a whole a host of other issues outside of, of just, you know, the, the larger issue of violence against women. And so that's what the book is about. It's really about men uh, and, and our our journey through how we learn what it means to be a man uh, through sports and, and other other things like media and family, and the last chapter is titled "Be Your, Be Your Son's Father, Not Your Father's Son." Uh, in other words, you know we have to be better than the previous generation, and we have to to, to grow and, and be better than our fathers were in, in terms of how we nurture, how we care, how we parent, all those different ways in which uh, we we as men have to grow and develop. How do the fans find the book? Where could they find the book if they want to read the book? If you can you can find it on, on Amazon or, or Barnes and Noble. If you go to my website, as I said, DonMcPherson dot com is his uh, page is access to to how to get the book, uh, as well as the video on my website. And, and the the reception has been has been very positive uh, so far. You know, it released in September, and prior to COVID, it had a number of events uh, in different parts of the country, and uh, the conversations have been pretty good. 
Well, I would love to get you into the studio. Uh, when Eric actually comes back from Florida uh, with the whole COVID-19 situation, we'd, we'd love to get you back into the studio and talk a little bit more about your book, talk a little bit about your NFL career, and have a little bit fun with you. But we really appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Donald. Sure thing. As you guys know, we were just talking to NFL and CFL quarterback Donald McPherson. He's a, he, was a great, he was a good NFL player. Uh, he was even better in the CFL, and he had a great book. And I, Guys, if you don't know the book, again, the book is called You Throw Like a Girl, The Blind Spot of Masculinity. So definitely check it out. Go on his website and check it out. When we come back, me and Eric are going to get into this whole Jamal Adams, Woody Johnson Attack. Okay, that's what I'm going to call it. It is attack, and 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 I I believe Jamal Adams has every right to attack Woody Johnson, but we have to know the story before we attack him. When we come back on the weekend crunch, me and Eric are going to argue about this. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the weekend crunch. As you guys know, we are live every single Saturday. From 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. 103.9 LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Guys, download our app. If you haven't downloaded our app, go to your iOS store, which is Apple. Put in WWSRN. Download the app. Or go to your Android store, your Samsung, your tablet and put in Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We have a great app for all the fans. Follow our shows. We have great shows on our network throughout the week, live shows. These aren't podcasts. So definitely stay tuned. We have great guests throughout our whole network, and we have great shows, great talent throughout the week. So definitely tune in and check us out. I want to get into the New York Jets situation with Jamal Adams and Woody Johnson and Chris Johnson. Allegedly, uh, Woody Johnson has said um, racist things, and sexual things towards women. And I understand when you look at Woody Johnson as a whole, he hasn't been with the New York Jets for almost two years now, going on three years. Chris Johnson's been running the team. He's the one who hired Joe Douglas. He was the one that helped uh, draft Sam Darnold. This is a completely different team since Chris Johnson has taken over the organization. But these stories and these accusations that are coming out are appalling. And if it is true, allegedly, it, we don't know what the truth is of what Woody Johnson said. There are stories coming out by Rich Semini from ESPN and other beat writers for the New York Jets uh, taking shots at Woody Johnson that if these stories are true, that the Jets should sell the team, sell the organization. Now, Jamal Adams is not making it any better. I understand Jamal Adams is standing up uh, for himself and for other players in the NFL, but he's also trying to get a big contract from the New York Jets. And if you're taking a shot... At one of the owners, an, an owner that has always opened his pockets for every single player he has brought to the team, he's drafted to the team, and now all of a sudden Jamal Adams has spoken that he doesn't want to play for the Jets, he doesn't want to play for an owner of this magnitude, that he thinks that the Jets should sell the team, that the Johnson family should sell the team. What are your thoughts to what John, Jamal Adams has said about the Jets and Woody Johnson? Well, you know, it is a, it is a very uh, sensitive issue. And they are allegations at this point right now. Uh, but, you know, with that being said, you know, no matter, you know, what the case may be, no matter how many checks you write, no matter, you know, what you've done in the past, you know, just like Jamal tweeted, wrong is wrong. And, you know, I, I can't get on um, 
and stand up for wrong. You know what I mean? I think we're in a place in our uh, in our country, in, in the time in the world right now, where you have to be sensitive to other people. You know, that whether they're race, that you know, the sexism. You know, that's unacceptable. So, you know, hopefully these allegations aren't true. You know, I played for Woody Johnson for four years. I've known him for a long time, and he's been nothing but a great man to me and my family. Uh, you know, I've I've never seen anything but. Uh, good things come, come come from Woody Johnson. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect uh, for Chris Johnson, the whole organization. Uh, and, you know, when, when you look at Jamal Adams and, and, and what he's going through in his contract uh, dispute and trying to get traded, Jamal Adams is a very emotional player right now. He wants to either get paid or get traded. And he's what he's trying to do is force the Jets' hand. You know, either pay me or or get rid of me. You know, that's why he's coming up with the demands. That's why he's attacking Adam Gase. He's trying to force their hand and let his emotions get ahead of him. And now me personally, I love Jamal. He's the best safety in the NFL. I love the way he approaches the game. I love the passion he has with the game. But he's letting his feelings get involved, uh, I think, a bit too much in this negotiation. You know, this is business. And I learned that quick. When I first got in the NFL, uh, I, I learned fast that this is no longer college football. This is no longer a game. This is a business. And, you know, guys' livelihoods, uh, you know, they, 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 they pay for their, their kids' future. You know, they, they, they make their money. This is how people make money. This is a job. And you have to conduct yourself as such. You know, I do think Jamal is, um, you know, when he says that we need leadership at the top, I look at it as, you know, he still wants to be a part of this organization. You know, and he still wants to be a part of the change. He wants to, uh, you know, right the ship, um, so to speak. So I, I do think Jamal wants to be with the team. Uh, what is wrong is wrong. And I certainly hope that these allegations aren't true. And, you know, we'll get to the bottom of it. Jamal Adams, I, I, I will read this quick post. Manish Mehta, which a lot of Jet fans do not like this guy because he is taking shots uh, at the wrong uh, wrong people of the Jets organization. And I, again, I'm, I've interviewed Manish, and I have a lot of respect for Manish, so I'm not going to take a shot at him personally, but he said some derogatory things about a lot of Jets over the last couple of years, including uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, who has had his own thoughts to who Manish Mehta is. But uh, Jamal Adams said to Manish Mehta, it's definitely a mixed feelings. Adams told news in his, uh, his first comments amid the contract stallman. But at the end of the day, my happiness is most important. I know my worth. I'm going to stand on my beliefs. I'm going to stand on who I am as a person. And I'm not ever going to change who I am, somebody who, ju- who, who is judging me. Either you accept me for who I am, and you work with me and support me or don't. That's pretty much what he said. And Jamal Adams is absolutely right. He has every right to be who he wants to be and state whatever he wants. This is a free country. He can say whatever he wants. But going on, uh, going on social media and, and taking shots at the Jets organization because they haven't opened up their pockets yet, maybe Joe Douglas wants to see what he's going to do this year. Maybe Joe Douglas is waiting to see uh, on the different contracts they can waive before the season. Um, there is a guy like Brian Winters right now that's making close to, I think, 7 or $8 million with the Jets. I do believe the Jets will eventually waive that contract. Maybe they're trying to clear out space before they give Jamal Adams that kind of contract. But when Jamal Adams and Eric, as much as you love him, and I love Jamal Adams as a person, I love that he speaks clearly of who he is as a person and not even as a player, as a man. I love how he, he emphasizes everything that he says. 
The problem with it is when you go into the public eye and you take a shot at the team that is uh, is going to pay you, and then you tell the team before the situation, you know what, if you're not going to pay me, trade me. And he's got seven or eight teams lined up that he wants to go to, and one of them are the Dallas Cowboys. And we've been hearing this over and over again for the last two years that he would love to play for the Dallas Cowboys. When you tell the organization or you have plans on teams that you would be interested to play for, and you tell that organization and Joe Douglas that, hey, you don't want to give me a contract, so I want to go and play for these teams. These are the teams I want to play for. That would bother me as a fan. That would also bother me as an owner of an organization. Well, you know, when when you talk about uh, these demands of Jamal, it's crazy how the players are looked at in this scenario, you know, where you just got done talking about um, Brian Winters making seven, eight million dollars and having a contract that he, he, you know, he still has time on. And you, you talk about it so easily, like they'll clear that contract and they'll cut him and not honor their contract. But at the same time, when Jamal comes and asks for some more money because he's outplaying his contract, it's a problem now. You, do you understand what mm-hmm. I'm saying? I got you. There's, there's such a double standard in sports where the team doesn't have to honor their contract, but the player does. You know, and I think that's unfair. You know, you, obviously Jamal has outplayed his contract. He's the best safety in the NFL. He's the best player on their team. And he's a leader. He, he deserves to be paid. So let, let's, let's stop with that. Now, he gets emotional because he deserves it. He feels like he does deserve it, and he's, he's proven it on the field. And, you know, what I don't agree with with Jamal – is coming out and attacking the coach, talking about how he's not the right leader. I don't think that's the right way to go about this. That's not showing leadership. That's not helping progress your team. That's not helping progress your contract negotiations. Um, now, now this Woody Johnson thing is a whole separate topic. Of course, this is this is independent to the contract scenario, to my happiness as a Jet. This is this is you know right and wrong. You know, this is these are race issues over here. So that, that I want to separate those two. Of things, course. But I did find it interesting how you so easily talked about Brian Winters <laughs> being cut when he's owed this much money. But yet Jamal can't come and request more money because he outplayed his contract. Well, hold on one second, Eric. I, I'm not taking shots at uh, Brian Winters not accepting. No, I, no, no I, I know you're not taking shots at him, yeah. but that's just the perception. Yeah. Like people will sit here and look at the salary cap and say, this guy's making eight million dollars. Oh, we'll cut him mm-hmm. and, and clear up some room for somebody else. Right. But why can't we make some, make a path for a guy who's outplayed his contract? Why can't he ask for more money when he outperforms his contract? But when the guy's underperforming, he's quick to be, you know, kicked to the curb. No, I, I understand that. I, I, and again, I'm not taking a shot at Jamal Adams that he wants the money. He do, if he believes he deserves the money, which a lot of people do, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that Jamal Adams doesn't deserve the $90 million contract that he wants and he wants to be the highest paid safety in the league. I'm not arguing that. What I'm arguing right now is he's bringing all these stipulations, all these different things that are going on with the New York Jets organization. He took a shot at Adam Gase. Meanwhile, he was the one that accepted the fact that Adam Gase was going to be the new head coach of the New York Jets about a year and a half ago. He loved that the Jets brought Adam Gase in. Now, all of a sudden, after playing for him for a year, he doesn't like him. He doesn't want him there. He's not the right leader. Yeah, that, that one surprised me. That one, that one disappointed me to, to hear him say that uh, about Coach Gase because I know the amount of respect Coach Gase has for, for Jamal and, and vice versa. And it was, it was disappointing for me to hear that. I'm just a little thrown off that if he doesn't get what he wants, he's stamping his feet and saying, you know what? Trade me. I want to go to the Cowboys. I'll go to Seattle. I'll go wherever they are. I, as long as they're going to pay me. If you're not going to pay me, get rid of me. I, I disagree. 
I absolutely disagree with uh, Jamal Adams. I understand that he wants his money, and he will get his money. I believe Joe Douglas will pay Jamal Adams if he gives him a little bit of time and figure things out. Joe Douglas has uh, uh, been a strategic GM since he's taken over this team, and you've seen what he's done. He is a smart guy. He's been under... Uh, he's been under great GMs over the years with the Baltimore Ravens. This is a guy that's been a part of three Super Bowl championships, two with the Baltimore Ravens and one with the Philadelphia Eagles. So this is a guy that has been successful in the league, working under some of the most talented, most smartest executives in all of professional sports. Wow, Eric, we got more breaking news on our show. The Seattle Seahawks will send safety Bradley McDougal a first-round pick in 2021 and 2022, and a third-round draft pick uh, in 2021 to the New York Jets in exchange for Jamal Adams and the Jets' fourth-round pick in 2022. This is crazy, crazy news here in New York sports. The Jets trade Jamal Adams. He's on his way out. He's on his way to Seattle. So when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get more into MLB baseball, and more into the NFL here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Mr. Eric Coleman. As you guys know, this is 103.9 LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I do want to get into these topics with you, Eric. These topics were crazy, what I've read this morning. I was going through some of the funny stories around the country, around the world, from Florida to Michigan, and some of them not even being funny. Uh, And we will get into that a little bit later. Man dresses as a Grim Reaper to warn Florida beachgoers about coronavirus. You believe this? A man <laughs> is walking around with a Grim Reaper costume in, on Florida beaches trying to tell people about coronavirus. Not, not that we already know, and many people have passed mm-hmm. away from this disease, this virus. He's going around in the heat, 100 degrees over there in Florida, in certain areas of Florida, on the beaches in a Grim Reaper costume. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like he wants to meet the Grim Reaper if he's walking around in a, in a robe <laughs> in this 100-degree humid weather, walking around beaches. Uh, good luck to him on that one. <laughs> California woman dreamed about eating her engagement ring, woke up and find that she did a 2.4 carat ring. Ooh. Could you imagine? Could you imagine your wife do that? Would your your mom? I can't imagine that. Would your wife do that? I I would have my hand down her throat. I'm going to get that one. <laughs> we, we'd have to figure that one out. I mean, some of these stories are crazy, and it all happened in Florida. I don't know what you guys, what you Flor- Floridians do over there, but uh, uh, there's some well, crazy hey, things going on over there. I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a Long Island. I'm a Long Islander. You're a Long Islander, a strong I'm Islander. rarely in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> You've been there for four months, buddy. I know, but it, it hasn't driven me crazy like that. Well, so, hopefully your wife doesn't eat her 2.4 carat ring and wake up. Yeah, and, and just for the record, my wife's ring is bigger than that. No. <laughs> oh, you hear that? Mrs. Coleman has a bigger ring. <laughs> Florida gets locked. Uh, Florida kid gets locked into an igloo cooler for over an hour. What do you think about that? Kid jumps into an igloo cooler and can't get out of it. His parents are looking for him. Call the police that he... He, he, they think that he got stolen or uh, something happened to him. 
and they find out that the kid was sleeping in an igloo cooler. What do you think about that? See, see I, I think that we need summer camp. These, these kids need to be entertained <laughs> somehow, some way. Uh, I thought my kids were going crazy at the house, you know, running around without summer camp. But to jump in the igloo cooler, oh, my goodness. That, that, <laughs> I'm glad they found them, though. Pol- this happened in the U.K. Remember, the, just, just think of this. Police respond to a loose panther report, report and it was a stuffed toy. Could you believe See, that? You, everybody, everybody. Maybe it's COVID nineteen. Maybe they're losing their damn mind. They're getting stuck in their house. But who yeah. calls up that there's a loose panther running around? And well, have you ever seen that that Martin episode when somebody stole a CD player and he had the stuffed Doberman Pinscher? <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Intimidating everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Martial artist breaks Guinness Book of World Record with three hundred and twenty-two punches in one minute. Oh, my goodness. Hey, I don't want no problems with him. That, that's a flurry right there. Well, I don't want any problems with you doing uh, 100 burpees in 10 minutes, man. <laughs> I, I see you. Yeah. You're, you look like you're about to throw up. Oh, man, it was, it was tough. I have the 30-pound vest on, and we're, we're in the garage. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm just as bad as that kid in the cooler, you know, going in the garage working out in, in Florida in the summer. Your, your, your workouts are intense. I got to say that. I, I watch every single day. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Coleman is a workout phenomenon. Okay? This guy does over 1,000 push-ups a day. He does over 100 burpees in 10 minutes. He does, I, I think he does 50 push-ups, uh, pull-ups or whatever, 50 to 100 pull-ups <laughs> in 10 minutes. I mean, what does this guy not do when it comes to working out? I, I'm a workout guy too, but I don't do what you do, man. It's, it's absolutely crazy. I know you want to get into NFL shape. Maybe you plan to come back to the NFL, play for the Oakland Raiders. They are looking for a strong safety, buddy. Hey, you know what they say, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. (laughs) (laughs) I I had two young girls. I have two young girls, and my daughters are beautiful, so I have to stay in peak shape just in case a a, a young boy tries to to talk to my daughter. Uh Uh-oh. Well, usually a dad has a bat or a metal pipe or something like that. I got two guns. I got two guns. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This story is very interesting. Message in a bottle may have traveled from England to Rhode Island. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, that's interesting that people are still doing the message in the bottle. <laughs> Genie in a bottle. And what did that message say? I have no idea. It never said. I, I read the story. It never said anything about the message. All it said that it came all the way from England to Rhode Island. Could you imagine that? Wow. Could you imagine I that? I wonder how long that took. That's interesting. Mm, a long time. Last story. New Jersey store seeks home for a rare orange lobster. I'll tell you where... He'd be settled. He'd be settled in my pot right now in my house. That's where he'd be settled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that. The, I'm, a, I'm allergic to the lobster. So I, You're I, allergic I, to I, lobster? I Come on, man. You're allergic to lobster? Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, how about this? I'm allergic to crustaceans, but I can have mollusks. Mm. So I can have clams and oysters, but I can't have crab, shrimp, or lobster. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, it sucks. Especially I, living on Long Island, it, it sucks. I'm allergic to I'm allergic to shrimp. I'm not allergic to lobster or crab or any other fish. Just shrimp. Every time I eat shrimp, my voice closes, my my throat closes, and I can't talk. Yeah. So I'm allergic to shrimp, and I, I, I've had arguments with different people on well, how are you allergic to shrimp and you're not allergic to lobster and crab? I don't know. I don't know how my body works. I, I don't know I, my genes, yeah. my genetic pool. I have no idea. I just don't like shrimp. There you go. So. 
Anyways, th- so those are the stories, the crazy stories that I read throughout the week. Uh, they're very interesting. Some of them are just absolutely weird, especially the stuffed animal panther. It makes absolutely no sense. But uh, how do you quote to say that you, there's a panther out on the loose and it wasn't even moving? It was a stuffed panther. I, I, See, and that's people seeing ghosts. Like uh, like my man Sam Darnold did mm. <laughs> during the football oh, game. Gotta leave you, Sam alone. Leave you, Sam you sit alone. In your house, you sit in your house all day looking out the window and see a stuffed panther outside and just want to just be the first to report the news. That kid will never live it up. He will never live it up <laughs> until he figures out and, and actually plays 16 games in a season. When man, I, well, hey, just to his defense on that, we say that stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and Sam is a, is a cool cat, man. He's Love one of Sam. my favorite players, man. He's a good dude. But, you know, sometimes you keep it real with your teammates and, and stuff happens. You know, there have been times where I, I got ran over by Jerome Bettis, you know, like I was a, a speed bump. <laughs> well, you were. <laughs> I came to the sideline and was talking to my teammates about it laughing. And if that would if I would have been mic'd up, I would have been just like Sam. So it happens all the time. Well, again, when Sam said that, that it was like seeing ghosts, he wasn't talking about real ghosts. He was talking about the ghost of past. That's what he was saying about the Jets and, and all the different things that they have gone through with the no. New England Patriots. <laughs> I, I'm trying to help him here. I'm trying to help him here. I'm trying to help Sam. Sam, I see, Sam, Eric was trying to save you here, and I'm even trying to save you even more, and he's laughing at it. So there you go. Uh, Unfortunately, Sam, uh, Sam uh, but it always happens to Jets quarterbacks. Uh, you, you, we all know about the butt fumble with Mark Sanchez, and, and you know a lot about that, don't you, my friend? <laughs> I don't. I wasn't on that team. I know you weren't on that team, but you know a lot about that. So, uh, unfortunately. Uh, in, in, fact, in fact, when we played, when we came back and played the Jets when I was with the Patriots, my, my defensive back coach told us if Sanchez throws for 150 yards on us, everybody's getting fined in the deep, defensive back room. Oh, my God. Poor Sanchez, man. <laughs> <sighs> I, I'll tell you this. Uh, unfortunately, Mark Sanchez is no longer in the NFL if he is in the NFL. I know he was uh, suspended. No, he's commentating year. college football. Oh, really? With my man Jonathan Vilma. Oh, I love Jonathan Vilma. Vilma is awesome. When it comes to a play-by-play, analytic type of guy when it comes to college football, he knows his thing. He knows his stuff. University of Miami uh, alumni. This is a guy that I've always liked, like Jonathan Vilma. I know you played with Jonathan Vilma. Yeah, we got uh, drafted together. That's yep, my dog. Yeah. I love yep. Jonathan Vilma. I, I was very upset when the Jets decided to let him go, and he went to the Saints, and he had his opportunity. He won a Super Bowl with the New Orleans Saints, so he had his opportunity. And, and I, again, when I look at star linebackers that came from the Jets, there are not many of them. So, uh, especially in my time. So when you get the opportunity to see guys like C.J. Mosley, Avery Williamson, who I think is, is a star in the making, as long as he could stay healthy, that torn ACL really affected his season last year and affected the Jets' season because if Avery Williamson and C.J. Wilson, I mean, C.J. Mosley was healthy last year, uh, mm. it would have been a different team. That would have been a different team Absolutely, absolutely. So, unfortunately, but Avery Williamson is back this year. The Jets are back this year, so... I'm I'm very excited to see where the Jets are going moving forward with this team. Joe Douglas is on his way, and I, I think we have the right guy. I think the Jets have the right guy in place. You saw what he did with Denzel Mims. You saw what he did in the draft, moving down, uh, getting more picks, and, and adding more picks to next year's draft. I love Joe Douglas. Hopefully he figures things out for this organization because this organization is in need of great leadership, which they've had a lackluster of, of leaders over the last couple of years. And I'm not taking shots at Rex Ryan because I love sexy Rexy. Uh, I just I didn't like uh, the fact that – and I, I like Eric Mangini too. Eric Mangini was a very good coach, and 
unfortunately, the Jets made a mistake bringing in Brett Favre. And uh, the, Bre- uh, the Brett Favre saga and the Bre- Brett Favre situation was, if, if anybody doesn't know the story, the, the Johnson family told um, Eric Mangini that we're going to bring in Brett Favre. If it doesn't work out, we will still bring you back and you can find your own – you can draft your own quarterback. You can bring in your own quarterback. And what happened? Uh, Brett Favre had a good season before he got hurt, and then everything fell apart for the New York Jets. The Jets decided to keep Brett Favre and let go of Eric Mangini, and I think it was the biggest mistake for the New York Jets and their organization. It set them back for years. And then they brought in Rex Ryan. They had that great run, those two great runs, with the uh, two, all the way to the AFC title game and never could get over the hump. So, unfortunately, the Jets have had a lot of bad luck and hopefully some good luck with Joe Douglas and that executive team of of different executives that they've brought in. I'm hoping Adam Gase is the right guy. A lot of Jet fans are hoping not. So, unfortunately. And Jamal Adams is hoping not as well. When we come back, we will get into the Yankees and the Mets and the start of the MLB season here on The Weekend Crunch. There's something about this track, Eric. I don't know. Jason Derulo, I love this track, man. I love it. (laughs) As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. As you know, this is 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Guys, we do this every single week. Eric has a segment, and we call this A Cup of Coal. A Cup of Coal. What's up, everybody? So this week, my cup of coal is talking about the NFL preseason. And, you know, I, I, as a former player, you know, I always hear people talk about how they don't need a preseason. There's no preseason needed. We should get rid of it. But the NFL preseason is, is so vital to the, the, the completion of your roster, to the development of your team. And, it, you know, I know, understand that a lot of teams aren't going to have a preseason this year. Probably there, there will probably be no preseason. But who's going to be hurt by that? Who's going to be affected by that? Well, let me talk about the veterans first. The veterans use the preseason as, as a tune-up, as a warm-up. You know, if you're a starter, you're established, you're going through training camp, it's nice to come out you know, suit up, go through your routine, you know, get taped up a certain way, you know, go through your, your, your pregame stuff and go hit somebody else. You know, that's needed. You need to get, get the cobwebs out. You know, you, you need to go out there and run around with your teammates and just get that feeling of playing in a live game. Now, now you think about the younger guys. There, there's a lot of young guys who don't have as much experience, so they need to, to see what it's going to be like to have that adrenaline rushing through their body. You know, it's different practicing. And then going out in front of people and dress, doing a dress rehearsal. So, you know, you, you use how are you going to handle your nerves? You know, you need that time. And then for the back of the roster, the free agents, the guys who, you know, may be a veteran, who may be at the bottom of the roster. This is when you see who can actually play when the lights come on. You know, you've seen guys make plays in practice. You've seen, you know, guys get opportunities and, and, and run around. But sometimes you find that, 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 that diamond in the rough. That guy who wasn't showing up in practice, but in, in the preseason game when it's live, he can carry his pads. He can make those plays. That big catch that he, you know, they can make that big catch. And so you see guys start to develop and create that, that confidence. You get the chemistry. You get to, to 
kind of build the mold of your team in the preseason. So without the preseason this year, a lot of teams are going to be missing out. The season is going to you know, get off to a slow start. I expect the defenses to dominate early because it takes a couple of weeks for the offense to start clicking and, and to get used to one another in that continuity. So I, I think that as fans, as players, everyone's going to miss out by not having a preseason. So that's my cup of cold today, Earl. And also the Jets. When you look at the Jets, we talk about the offensive linemen that they brought to the team, Beckham and George Font and, and, and McGovern, all these different offensive linemen. You work as a unit. And if you're not on the field, you're not practicing, or you're not going through the games, the, the preseason games, figuring out each other, your strengths, your weaknesses, it throws you off as a team. And I think it's going to hurt teams like the New York Jets where they reconstructed their offensive line, their whole unit this offseason to help Sam Donald. And it's going to take a couple of games for them to figure it out and how to work together as an offensive unit. So again, it's going to hurt teams like the Jets. It's going to hurt teams like the Giants. Even some of the teams that played last year that added offensive uh, players in the offseason, especially some of the young, young offensive linemen that they brought in from the draft as well. So it is going to hurt some teams. It's going to really hurt teams like the Jets and the Giants because they reconstructed their whole offensive line this offseason. So it is going to affect them. I do want to get into the baseball uh, season. The baseball season started Thursday. The Yankees won 4-1. to one. It only went six innings. Garrett Cold really showed you why the Yankees paid $326 million to him. You loved him, Eric. You absolutely loved him uh, going into the season. You think the Yankees are going to be no no doubt World Series champions. But yeah, I, I mean, they're built for this short run. Yes. You, know, you, you saw it. I mean, you saw it. Uh, <laughs> Garrett Cole out there, uh, John Carlos Stanton. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They, they've got so much talent on that team. And for this short run, they got to lock in for 60 games. And at the end of those 60 games, I believe they'll be the best team. I think the benefit right now for the New York Yankees is there is no crowd. There is no audience. There is nobody screaming, yelling at the Yankee players. You have the league putting on uh, screaming fans on the loudspeakers. And every time they hit a home run, you hear them going crazy. And I understand why baseball is doing that, why the MLB is doing that, to make it feel like it's real. But the cardboard players, uh, the cardboard fans out there that you can pay $80 (laughs) To uh, If you own the seats, you pay $80 a game, and you can have your picture put on the seat. That makes absolutely no sense. I, I, it's a joke. Wait, so, okay, so I wasn't aware that they were actually charging the fans mm-hmm. to put their cardboard cutout in the seats. Yes, that's 80 just, bucks. That's just another hustle. 80 bucks. If, if you're a ticket holder, <laughs> season ticket holder, and you want your picture or your face to be in the seat, you have to pay $80 to the team a game. Unbelievable. Oh, man. But, you know, it, it is funny that, you know, you talk about the crowd noise being in there. I remember, you know, when Mangini got to the Jets, you know, we used to practice with crowd noise. and We had a home game. You know, as a defense, it was so difficult to play at home because the Jets fans were so loud that, you you know, usually you have verbal audibles you know if if they check to a certain formation I go I go tell the linebacker check 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 we're playing this I go tell the corner but when you're playing at home and it's loud you can't do that so now you have to come up with hand signals and so we would practice with the crowd noise we practice with music and it would make it fun but uh, I I definitely think it's something that the players are going to have to get used to in baseball Mm -hmm. and uh and hopefully you know, we can get this thing figured out with COVID and we can get back to normal. Oh, my God. Playing, you know, everybody please, can be at the game. Please be. Right now, when I watched the game, the Yankee game the other day, not the fact that it rained, torrential rain, torrential rain, and, and, and the game was canceled, but they got through the six innings, so they, they, they got the game in. 
But the Yankees, you, you see the difference in John Carlos Stanton. I think it's going to help players like John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge, who are power hitters. If there's no crowd out in the audience screaming, and you're not, you don't have to worry about some of the things that they're saying. And I know a lot of people say, oh, they mirror out what the crowd is saying. I don't believe that. I think this benefits certain players. Guys like Labor Torres and the Yankees, and even the pitchers, it, 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 it varies right for, for these guys to understand that now that there is no crowd, it benefits them. It, it could help the Yankees even move forward into the season with, the, with, with, uh, uh, with some of the teams that they're going to be playing moving forward. I, the Mets, won, uh, they won their first game of the season yesterday against the Braves. Jacob DeGrom was sensational. Absolutely sensational. Uh, and by the way, Max Scherzer pitched a great game against the Yankees, too. I think he had 11 or 12 strikeouts against the Yankees. So he pitched a sensational game, too, and he only gave up four runs against the Yankees. I'll, I'll tell you this before we get into the Mets. The only way teams are going to beat the Yankees is you have to score at least five to six runs against them. If you don't score five to six runs against them, you don't stand a chance against the Yankees. You don't. Yeah, and, that, and that's, the, that's why the, the Yankees paid all those pitchers mm-hmm. you know, to keep those points off the board. They know that they can outscore you. They know that there's not a team that can match – their power on the offensive side of the uh, of the plate, and, and now they're bringing these pitchers. It's a wrap for the AL. Listen this to this guy. It's a wrap. The season hasn't even <laughs> and I'm started. Not even a it's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're definitely the favorites to come out of the American League East. Uh, they're definitely the favorites. And remember, baseball just came out that 16 teams make the playoffs now. Not eight from the National League and eight from the American League. So this is going to be even harder for the Yankees to win a World Series. Everybody says it's World Series a bust for the Yankees with the acquisition of Garrett Cole and even with the Dodgers, with the acquisition of Mookie Betts. So they're expected to win. They gave Mookie Betts a huge contract, 12 years, $365 million contract. They're expected to win this year, both teams. It's supposed to be Yankees versus Dodgers. But now you have to play not one series, not two series, but three series before you get into the World Series. That's going to be a treat for the fans, though. That's more you think that's a treat? baseball. You think that's a treat? It's a treat. Oh, man. You know, you, you're not watching not the game. You know, the, the game where so-and-so was sitting out this week because he's tired and he's getting rest. Like, it's, it's on. You know what I mean? You get into that tournament. Everybody has to be at their peak. Everybody, ha- you know, the intensity is going to be there. I think that's a, a bonus for the fans to, to watch that much tournament play uh, when you talk about all these teams being added to the playoffs. Again, I, I, as a Yankee fan, I don't, if I was the Yankees, I wouldn't like it because the Yankees are expected to make the playoffs. But there are teams like the Mets that are maybe going to make the playoffs or other teams that could squeak into the playoffs with the team that they have, like the Colorado Rockies or something, somebody, uh, some team like that. The problem here is teams like the Yankees, the Dodgers, it doesn't vary for them. It doesn't make it better for them, them because they have to go through even more series to get where they want to go to win a World Series. So it doesn't benefit the Yankees. But I'll tell you this right now. Jacob deGrom is, if he pitches the way he pitched yesterday, Jacob deGrom's going to win another Cy Young. He is a fantastic pitcher. It's sensational. He pitched a, against an Atlanta Braves team that has is stacked offensively. You look at the players. Oh, I talk about Acuna. Acuna is probably, if not the best player in the National League, he's second or third best player in the National League. You saw his throws, his precision on throwing the ball, and, and really the way he hits the ball and ra- the way he runs around the bases. Uh, fantastic player. Um, but you look at some of the teams. Yesterday, I wasn't surprised with some of the games. Uh, the Reds winning yesterday 7-1 against the Tigers. The Rays losing against the Blue Jays. I was surprised about that. The Blue Jays, even though the Blue Jays are expected to be a good young team this year, their pitching is they're not that good. But I, I will say this. The Rays are expected to be a good team this year. They're expected to be a World Series contender. 
and they didn't have a good game yesterday. I know it's the first game of the season, but they didn't look good. Uh, the Marlins beat the Philadelphia Phillies. I expect the Philadelphia Phillies to be a good team, adding Joe Girardi to the team, Bryce Harper, and Didi Gregorius. Uh, I believe Bryce Harper will be an MVP candidate this year. And, Bry- and bringing in Didi Gregorius uh, with the leadership that he provides, the left-handed power that he provides in that lineup, it's going to help Philadelphia. But it didn't help against the Marlins yesterday. The Marlins look good. They have a lot of good young players. The Royals lose against the Indians 2 to nothing. Not surprised, even though a lot of people think the Royals are going to be a good team this year. I don't see it. Uh, the Cubs beat the Brewers. That was a surprise. The Brewers didn't score one run. This was one of the best offensive teams in the National League last year. I think they were second or third in runs, runs scored last year in the National League. And yesterday, they didn't have one run against a, a Cubs team. Let's be honest. Their, their pitching staff is not good. Their starting pitching staff is not good. So... Very surprised about that. The Orioles get smacked up by the Red Sox, 13-2. The most scored runs by a Boston Red Sox team in an opener in history. That just shows you how bad the Orioles are going to be this year. They're absolutely horrendous. The Rockies lose against the Rangers. The Rangers are expected to be a good young team this year. They have a lot of power in the lineup, and their starting pitching is not bad. They have a lot of good young pitchers, and they have good veterans as well. So I I think the Rangers could be uh, a borderline playoff team this year. Uh, The Twins knock off the White Sox. I'm not surprised, even though the White Sox are a team that a lot of people think are going to be good. um, I think they're about a year away from being um, a championship competitive team. The Cardinals knock off the Pirates. Not surprised. Padres knock off the D-backs. Not surprised. The Astros knock off the Marlins. Not surprised. And the Giants get knocked off by the Dodgers a second time uh, in a row. And the Angels lose against the Athletics. I look at the Oakland Athletics to be the team that could surprise a lot of, uh, of the American League teams that could make the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, the athletics are as dangerous as any team going into the playoffs. With that pitching staff, they have a young, talented pitching staff, and that lineup with a lot of power in the middle of that lineup, they could put up runs, and they could strike you out. And by the way, they're one of the only teams in the league that plays the opener. They, they start... Their bullpen sometimes if they don't want to start a pitcher. So they're the team that could really change a lot of things and a, a lot of thoughts of what uh, what some of these eight teams from the American League and eight teams in the National League should do uh, going forward this season in the 60-game season. I agree. You know, they, they have a lot of talent. Uh, there's a ton of great players. It's going to be about who gets hot in the playoffs. This shortened season, if you get into the tournament and, and you start clicking on all cylinders, you never know. When I look at the league right now as a whole, and I know a lot of people don't like the fact that there's no fans that, um, in the audience, but I, I think that a lot of these teams, uh, a lot of some of these teams that we were just talking about are going to surprise a lot of people because I, I believe the Colorado Rockies are going to be a very big surprise team in the National League. I think they're good enough. I don't know their pitching is, if their pitching is going to hold up with eight teams making it from the National League, but they have a good bullpen and they have a good lineup, and they're dangerous in the middle of their lineup uh, with the power that they have. So when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into my segment, Mark It Up, and we have a lot more to talk about in sports here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. Remember, this is 103.9 LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We heard a cup of coal, and it was a great segment. We talked a little bit about the MLB season starting. I'm very excited that 
There is baseball back. Finally, we have baseball back with all the sports going on. We do have the UFC. We have a UFC. We have the UFC fight night tonight, which I can't wait for. We have uh, Whitaker coming back against Hill. So I'm I'm excited about that. But I I, I do want to get into my segment of the week, and that's called Mark It Up. This is Mark It Up. Alex Smith has been cleared to come back and play NFL football. Uh, The story coming out from the Washington Post that Alex Smith has come out and said that he was cleared by doctors, that he can come back and start training again for the NFL season. I'm surprised that uh, doctors are allowing this guy to come back when it was uh, life-threatening when he when he broke his leg. Uh, he had an infection in his body where he had to have uh, his, surgery re- his surgery redone. So I was very surprised hearing this story. And Alex Smith came out and didn't say much about the Daniel Schneider thing, but he said that I'm a father, I'm, uh, I have daughters, I have, I have a family, and I don't like the fact that if these stories are, these accusations are true with sexual harassment, he will not tolerate it. He does not tolerate the whole situation with Daniel Schneider. As he shouldn't, you know, that's like I said before, I, I don't care who you are, what position you hold. It's unacceptable in this day and age to be racist, to be sexist, to, uh, you know, to be at that position, you know, to be at that leadership position where you're an owner. Um, it, it is it, it, it just in this day and age, I, I just can't believe that we're still talking about these things. Well, again, Alex Smith is a guy that I have a lot of respect for all the Different things we've heard over the years, the places he's gone with the Kansas City Chiefs. You asked Patrick Mahomes, who transitioned him into an NFL style of quarterback. Alex Smith was his name. He, he, he gave Alex Smith a lot of credit, not just Andy Reid. He gave Alex Smith a lot of credit for his transition as an NFL quarterback. So I love the fact that Alex Smith is trying to come back uh, with this devastating injury. But knowing that, uh, and I, I'm reading the story right now, Washington quarterback Alex Smith, who suffered a devastating tibular and fibular fracture in 2018, has received clearance from his surgical team to return to full football activity. I, nobody would have thought that Alex Smith was going to come back to the NFL. And if any team... If any team should give him an opportunity to come back, it's the Washington Redskins. This is a guy that showed everybody that uh, all the different things that he's gone through. Look at what he did with the San Francisco 49ers. He lost his job to Colin Kaepernick. He lost his job. Then he, after losing his job to Colin Kaepernick, he was traded to Kansas City. He built and helped build the Kansas City Chiefs into a championship competitive team, then was practically let go, and then he went to Washington. This is a guy that has been back and forth with different organizations, really helped the development of young quarterbacks everywhere he's gone, and and what he's done for Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick will tell you he had a big part of his growth as a starting quarterback in the NFL. You've heard it from Patrick Mahomes, and even you, you talk about some of the young quarterbacks that Washington had over the last year, year and a half. Alex Smith has helped the development of some of the young quarterbacks there. So I think Alex Smith deserves the opportunity to come back. Uh, I don't think he'll be a starting quarterback in the NFL, uh, but I do believe that he deserves to be a backup quarterback. I really do. Yeah, I don't put anything past Alex Smith. You know, he's a you know former first pick of the draft, uh, a great, phenomenal athlete, um, great leader, consummate pro. And, I mean, you just said it. You know, the way that he's mentored these players uh, in the locations that he's played at, uh, it just shows his character. You know, he's a hard worker. Um, he's really busted his butt to get, come back from this injury. And the fact that he's cleared and he's healthy, it, it makes me proud. And it's almost emotional to see, you know, where he came from and to see that he's 
cleared. He's going to be working his way back on the field. I'm excited to see him play, and I, and I hope that he can get back to you know a fraction of the player that he was before having that devastating injury. Another story from Mark It Up. DJ Fluker's girlfriend arrested after allegedly punching Ravens lineman. I, you know, I'm not even going to read this story because I think it's a joke. I, and I do believe there is domestic violence for men as well as for women. But you're, you're talking about a 300-pound lineman, okay? I don't know how big his wife is or his girlfriend is, but I don't know how hard the punch would be that she would get arrested. You're, you're talking about I, I, DJ Fluker's got to be about 330 pounds, 320 pounds. And his what? 150, 140-pound girlfriend punched him in the face, and he called the cops on her. I, I, I completely disagree with, the, uh, with this situation. Now, I'll read the story quickly so you can – I don't know if you heard about this story, Eric, so I'm going to read it for you. DJ Fluker, the veteran of offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens, allegedly was a victim of domestic assault early this month, according to police in Baltimore. Police responded to an incident on July 13th in Maryland where Fluker told them – that his girlfriend, Kimberly Davis, punched him in the nose during an argument over something that happened in social, on social media. A witness confirmed the account. Davis, uh, Davis told police that she poked Fluker in the nose, but that she didn't intend to cause harm. She alleged, uh, alleged that the argument became heated when the witness said Davis was a bad mother to her and Fluker's young daughter. Well, well listen, Errol, this, this is why this isn't a joke. Uh, first of all, domestic violence, I mean, I think that you would agree yes. that is, is a big problem in our Absolutely. society. Absolutely. You know, and, and I grew up, you know, I've seen my mom you know, get, get beat up before. Yes. And it's not fun. Mm-hmm. But especially when you're an NFL player, you're 330 pounds, you're a big dude. And you have a, an argument with your significant other. If she's being physical with you, it has to be documented. Really? You, you, it has to be reported. Okay. Because the, the one time that he grabs her or, or something happens, his name is going to be the, the, in bright light saying that this big 330-pound man put his hands on this you know, 100-pound woman. And, of course, you're going to call him a monster. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact of the matter is this stuff happens all the time to players, to men, to women uh, that – Listen, violence is violence, and wrong is wrong. You know, you shouldn't be putting your hands on somebody. I agree about that. He's going to go off for for something that he did on social media. You know, what's the next thing? So I think it's smart for him to report this uh, to show that he's in a toxic relationship and get it documented. And so the next time, you know, when when is he says she said is documented that she has been physical with him in the past. Looking at it that way, I agree with you. But looking at it in a different way, he could have discussed this with his, his girlfriend, his significant other, his baby's moms, and, and, and kind of get into conversation about that before calling the police. You're right, because we've heard different stories with Ray Rice and Greg Hardy, all the different domestic violence situations. I wasn't making a joke about it. I'm just yeah, – yeah, I'm not making a joke about it. I'm just saying that this is a 330-pound lineman. Uh, from from a woman that's probably about a hundred, maybe a hundred and forty, hundred and fifty pounds at best, and punching him or hitting him in the face, you shouldn't put your hands on anybody. No woman should put their hands on a man. No man should put their no man should put their hands on a woman. No question. But the fact that he's a three hundred thirty pound man, I, I, I think as a teammate, I and I, I wouldn't be doing it like personally in front of the press, but in the locker room, I'd be cracking jokes about him that you let your girlfriend beat you up, blah 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 blah. I, I mean. That's that's just, that's something that you're going to have to deal with in the locker room. And you know, you've been in the locker rooms before, and some people could be vicious. If they don't like you, they could yeah. be vicious. 
Yeah, but but I mean, you got to think like maybe this isn't the first time this has happened, right? You know, and, and you got to think as a black man in 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 these days, these times, you've seen you know black men on social media, you've seen people get killed for less. So in order to protect yourself, to protect your rights, and in your future, this had to be done. You know what I mean? Just so everyone gets an understanding of what kind of relationship I'm in while I'm trying to get it. Why am I trying to get away from from her and, and reporting this, I think, is important. And, and I think it was the smart move. I, I know that, you know, it, the optics are crazy, mm-hmm. but as, as crazy as it looks and it sounds, this had to be done. And I think it was a smart move by him and a very mature move by him. I, I again, I, I don't I don't hate on DJ Fluker for calling the cops again. But I, I will go back to it. I, I can only imagine what his teammates are going to do to him when he gets in the locker room. If somebody doesn't like him in the locker room, they're going to they're going to attack him and say, "You let a woman, you let a hundred pound woman smack smack you around. Uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you hold her arms? Why don't you do that?" Uh, so uh, again, no man should put their hands on a woman. No woman should put their hands on a man. But this story is it's crazy. It's it, it really is. And domestic violence has been going on really in the NFL, in, in professional sports for the last seven years. And, and now you're talking about the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, and all the professional sports. They're all trying to drop the hammer on players if they even put their pinky on their wife or their girlfriend or any of the stories. You know about the Brown story with the New York Giants a couple of years ago. Uh, the Giants were trying to hide it. They were trying to hide it for, for almost a year before it came out uh, in an article and then the Giants were trying to cover up, and he was still part of the team for at least two two games before they decided to drop him because it started hitting the press and, and, and women's rights groups, and as well as they should, attack the Giants for this situation. I agree. I agree. It is, it's it's a, one of those situations that is unacceptable, and and you know we as a society need to to get rid of all of this. So that was my market up, and I, I will say this. With everything that we talk about in professional sports and on our show, we speak from our hearts. We really want people to understand that everything that we get into is not factual. They're opinionated, and some people would detest what we say. But, again, that's what makes us a great sports radio show, and that's why we're here. And we'll put smiles on our face every single time we do it. So uh, I want to ask you, uh, who's the dancer of your family, your wife or you? Who is the dancer? That depends on who you ask. <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like I can do it all. Oh, but, look at him! But my, but my wife can do more like the classical dances, you mm-hmm. know, like you know all the all the real ballroom dances. I just like to get down. No, you like to get down, huh? You know how to do yeah. the Dougie? I can do the Dougie. You could do the Dougie. I, I can do the Dougie. I, I, I think I think me and you. <laughs> I think me and you have to get into a dancing competition. We should do a TikTok together. Me Uh-oh. against you. In all the different dances, we'll do the uh, we'll do the Dougie, we'll do the two step, we'll do all the dances, and we'll have fans vote who did the best dances, who had the who has the best rhythm. Come on now, come on, man, come on I'm, now. I'm serious. Me against you, yeah, but you know you know who's gonna win now. Oh, I'm, I'm gonna win. Man. I got I, hips, man. I, I got hips too, man. <laughs> I, I've been dancing. I've been break dancing since I was a kid, buddy. I'm all ready for it, so I'm ready. I'm ready to go against you. We're gonna Let's do, do that. I think we should do it. I think it'll be really, really funny. We can put it on social media, and we'll have the fans vote. We'll have people okay. vote who's the better dancer. We'll pick the dances. We'll pick five or six dances. We'll have your wife. We'll have your wife vote too. She'll she'll be 
the lead. And she'll probably pick you because yeah, your wife. Yeah, I was going to say, no matter uh, how bad I dance, she's, my wife is over. Ah, oh, man. You know, I, we, we're going to have to, when I get a chance to get to know your wife, I'll have to persuade her to take my side, okay? Because it's all about me when it comes to dancing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. When we come back, the last segment of the day, Crunch Time. Come on, Eric. We're going to sing, man. I'm telling you. I know you don't sing, but we're going to get you to sing here. You ready? That would be a no. Why do you build me up? Buttercup, baby, why you let me down? They're acting around in the worst of all. I don't know the words, but I'm saying you will. I need you. I need you. I need you. All right, that's it. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Eric Coleman. As you know, this is 103.9 LI News Radio Network. And this is brought to you by the New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Eric, I wanted you to dance. I wanted you to sing, but you didn't give us that beautiful voice of yours. Man, if you want me to dance and sing, you got to put on some one some West Coast music. Oh, what, what do you have? Two, Tupac, some, some a little Luther. Tupac. I, I grew up on Luther, so you, you Luther Vandross. Well, what Luther Vandross song do you like? Any of them? You could yeah. sing them. I'm not going to sing. Come on, man. The fans would love to hear you (laughs) sing, man. I'll be the uh, background singer for you. How's that sound? No, no, no. No? man. I'm I'm trying trying to help. I want people to laugh. I want people to enjoy this show. But anyways. I want them to enjoy it, too. That's why I'm going to keep the singing to myself. (laughs) (laughs) As you guys know, the last segment of the show is crunch time. It's time for Crunch Time. So welcome to this week's edition of Crunch Time here on the Weekend Crunch. We will start this one in hockey, our first hockey talk of this show. Buy or sell, the New York Rangers will play all three of their goaltenders at some point. Buy or sell. Sell. Henrik Lundqvist will start. Um, If he doesn't play well, you will see, um, you won't see Giorgio. You will see, uh, what's his name again? Who's the other guy? Shostorkin. Shostorkin. I, I mess up their name. I, I'm very bad at Russian names, so uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, Shostorkin will be the guy that they will call if if it's not Henrik Lundqvist. Henrik Lundqvist is the veteran. He's had a great career in the playoffs. He, take the, he took the Rangers all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals a couple of years ago against the L.A. Kings and lost. So uh, I, I do say I will sell that. I do not think you're going to see all three of them. I think you'll see Henrik Lundqvist, and if Henrik Lundqvist doesn't play well, you will see Susorkin. I'm, I'm going to sell as well. You know, I'm a big believer in going with a hot hand. You know, I'm not a fan of in football when you, you know you use two quarterbacks or or have too many running backs in the game. Same thing with hockey. I think you should go with you know who's hot, who's in the zone, who's uh, you know feeling at the time. Maybe use two, but three I think is too much. With the expanded MLB playoffs, we will see a six, seven, or eight seed in the World Series. I will buy. I think there's a lot of good teams this year. Uh, teams that are going to be a borderline good teams going into the, the season. You saw yesterday, we were talking about it in the sixth segment, uh, some of the teams that could really show up in a 60-game season, the Mets being one of them. I think the Mets have a very good chance if they get into this 
eight-team National League playoff run. They can they could squeak right by with the pitching and with the middle of their lineup. Their Colorado Rockies are a team. They're very, very dangerous. So uh, there are a lot of teams in the American League that can show up and, and play very well, like the Angels, who didn't play very well in their first game. So there are plenty of teams that you can see that could make the playoffs, squeak in, and go all the way to the World Series, with being that there's 16 teams that are going to make the playoffs. So I will buy on that. I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell on this one. I think that when you, you know, you, you show who you are in your record and in your seating, uh, you know, if you're a six, seven or eight you know, team, you are who you are. And it's only going to get shown. It's only going to get exposed through tournament play. You know, if it was, you know, two or three series. Yeah, maybe somebody can sneak through. They can get hot and, and, and catch fire and make it to the World Series. But as many playoff games as you're going to be playing. I don't think I think the real the truth will come out and the cream will rise. To the Jason Kidd will get a head coaching job that is not the New York Knicks. I'm going to buy. I, I don't think the New York Knicks, even though the stories are coming out that he's the front runner getting the job. I think it's always been Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau is very good friends with the new GM Rose. So I, I, I do believe there is a connection there. Jason Kidd has done very, very well when it comes to the interviews. He's had two interviews. So is Kenny Atkinson. And, and everything that we've heard that Jason Kidd is the front runner. I still believe in, hard, in, my, in my heart that Tom Thibodeau is the guy for the New York Knicks. So I'm going to say Tom Thibodeau. I'm going to buy. He will get a job somewhere else. It just won't be with the New York Knicks. I'm going to buy as well. You know, I think that Jason Kidd is a phenomenal talent. Um, he can reach the players. He understands the game. And he would be... Um, welcome in, in many NBA locker rooms. So whether it's the Knicks or another team, he would definitely have a head coaching job next year. The Seattle expansion team, now named the Seattle Kraken, oh, will have God. more long-term success than the Vegas Golden Knights. Buy or sell? I'm going to sell. The Vegas Knights have been incredible. Their first season, they went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. They've been a sensational organization from top to bottom. They drafted very, very well when, when, when they were an expansion team. They added the right players. They added the, the, the right coach, the right executives. This is a great organization, very well-run organization. The Krakens, even though they're... Uh, very well, or, very well run organization. The executives that we've seen, some of the ownership that they've brought in to help the organization grow. It, it's not easy to do what the Vegas Knights did, and a matter of fact, they're the first team to ever do what they did uh, in their first year. So I do not believe they're going to be as successful. So I'm going to sell on that. I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy. I think that um, you know I'm from the state of Washington, so I'm, I'm a bit biased. And when you go to Seattle and you see the passion that the fans have, you see the, you know what's behind, what supports the organization. I think long term, this franchise is going to be as successful as any. You know, I think that they're going to have a lot of a lot of uh, support behind them. Uh, they've been the, the Seattle fans have been itching for a team to watch indoors since the Supersonics left. And I do believe they'll have an NBA team pretty soon. You see how much money is up in Seattle, the, the love that they have for the Seahawks and the Mariners. Uh, I, I think that this organization, the, the Kraken, will become one of the elite franchises. Really? Are, are you crazy? I, I'm not saying it's going to be as fast as the Golden <laughs> but I'm talking about longevity-wise. I think it's going to be, uh, you know, they're, they're going to become a staple in the NHL. Wow, listen to him. I, I like that. I like that. Mm. All right. Interesting. The Yankees will score four runs or more off Steven Strasburg today like they did off Max Scherzer on Thursday. So I think the Yankees are going to have problems with Steven Strasburg. He's one of the most dominant young pitchers in baseball. He got that big contract about a year and a half ago. I, I, I look at Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer, if you look at his record as a starter in, uh, on opening day, he was 1-2, and, and his ERA uh, was 1.26. 
as an ERA. He was one and two, but one point two six. He gave up four runs against the Yankees. Steven Strasburg is is more uh, calculate, and and he he throws he throws a lot of off speed pitches. The Yankees have had problems over the years against off speed pitching pitching in, in the league. Uh, I think that he's going to throw a lot of changeups and a lot of curves and and stuff like that to throw the Yankees hitters off. So I think the Yankees are not going to score four runs against Steven Strasburg. So I'm going to sell on that. I'm going to buy just so I can argue with Arrow. Uh, I think the Yankees Yankees have a ton of talent, and they're going to find a way to put the bat on the ball and drive in four runs. So uh, just to argue with you, Arrow, I'm going to to buy it. Among AFC East receivers, the New York Jets will have a receiver in the top three in receiving yards. Sell, not going to happen. I, I like Denzel Mims. I like Crowder. I like some of the weapons they have. Herndon, if he could stay healthy, he's going to be a dangerous weapon for the New York Jets. They are not going to have a guy that's going to be in the top three in receiving yards in in any league, any division. So Denzel Mims is a young player. He's talented. Uh, I just don't think he's he's going to be there yet. It's going to take him a year or two to figure things out and the speed of the game. So that would be a sell. I'm going to sell as well, and it's not because of a lack of talent. Listen, I think that Sam Darnold is going to be a great quarterback. So do I. Um, you know, he can certainly find a, you know, a receiver to find a great relationship with, but the fact of the matter is that this team is built to run. You know, they're, they're built to run the football. They're going to control the clock. They're going to use play action. They're going to use the tight end, and there's too many options for Sam Darnold to just lock in on one receiver and have him have that ultimate success. So uh, I'm going to sell on that. A team that had a bye last year. So the 49ers, the Packers, the Ravens, and the Chiefs. One of those teams will miss the playoffs this year. I'm going to sell. I think all, all those teams are going to make the playoffs. I know a lot of people think that the Packers are going to have an off season. That's why uh, they believe this is the last season for Aaron, uh, Aaron Rodgers. He will be on his way out. They're going to try to trade him in the off season with uh, the addition of Jordan Love. I do believe that they're good enough. Their defense is good enough, and they have enough offensive weapons with to me, one of the most underrated uh, wide receivers in football, Devontae Adams. They have a great running game in Jones. Uh, they're the only team that I would say that could be a cusp team that might not make the playoffs. All the other teams are going to make the playoffs. So I'm going to sell. I think all of them are going to make the playoffs. I'm going to sell as well. I think that um, you know Aaron Rodgers is a very prideful player. I think that you're going to see a very good year out of him this year. You're going to see an MVP-type season from him. Uh, he's going to be at the top of his game. Now, you know, the other teams, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Ravens, you know, those guys are all shoe-ins. You know, they have so much talent on that team. If they can stay healthy, then there's not going to be. The Western Conference representative in the NBA Finals will not be an L.A. team. I'm going to sell. I think both L.A. teams are as dangerous as any team right now in the West. I I don't see any of the West teams. I I do believe Oklahoma City is going to show a lot of people that they can squirm right into this playoff where they can – uh, they could be a dangerous team in the playoffs. I, I think Chris Paul has really shown that he can work with young players and the development of some of the young players in OKC. I also like Houston. Houston's very good with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, but both L.A. teams, I think they're both going to be in the Western Conference Championship uh, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard, who was the MVP of last year's NBA Championship, and uh, George, I think, the, Paul George, I think they're as good both teams are as good as any team going into the playoffs, and both teams are very dangerous. Uh, I'm going to sell. I think one of those teams are going to the NBA championship. I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy. Just because, listen, this is a, we're in different circumstances right now. The momentum has changed. You know, I, I like the Houston Rockets. You know, Russell Westbrook and James Harden can put up a ton of points. Uh, I think the Rockets have an opportunity to dethrone, you know, one of those teams. So I, I'm, I'm going to buy. 
you know, I do think the, the West is wide open right now. And as you saw yesterday, the Lakers, I know it's a preseason game or, you know, just a, a warm up game, but they didn't look as sharp, you know. So, so I, I think that there are some other teams that compete with them. Well, hold on one second. Houston don't play defense, buddy. So how the heck is Houston going to knock off any of the L.A. teams? They're going to score more points than everybody else. But you know in the NBA playoffs it becomes a half-court game, not a full-court game, and that's different when you play defense. Yeah, it's true. But I've yet to see somebody stop James Harden, and if Harden is off, then you got Westbrook. So, they, I mean, they, they have a ton of talent. They do. So they do. We'll, we'll see. We'll uh, see who gets hot. Well, they better get into the, uh, the, they better get into the NBA Finals, because if they don't, uh, Mr. D'Antoni is going to be fired. I've been hearing stories that off the court, uh, things are not going good with D'Antoni and the offensive style of game with the Houston Rockets. So, very, very intriguing, very interesting That's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back next Saturday. As you guys know, Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., the weekend crunch with me, Errol Marks, and Eric Coleman. Eric, uh, thank you. Uh, uh, Before we go, how are your kids doing with everything that's going on with the COVID-19? Oh, man, my kids are doing great. Thank you for asking. You know, they're, they're chomping at the bit to get out of the house. Uh, you, know, they, you know, they're constantly stimulated, and, and I can't ask for, you know, a better uh, set of kids. Your, your, kid, your, your son is a spinning image of you. I just want oh, yeah, you to know that. Absolutely. He is the spinning <laughs> image of you. He's just, he just has a set of hair, and you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a little me right there. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, we, we've definitely been blessed with some good kids, man. So, Absolutely. Uh, thank you for asking. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure man. doing the show this week. You know, I, I look forward to next week and, and the weeks after. So, uh, oh, I can't wait until you're up here and we actually do live shows in the studio at JVC Broadcasting. And uh, we go to live events and we work together and, and we get – all of Long Island and all of New York to get to know who we are as radio show hosts. I, I'm very excited moving forward with you and the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is 103.9 LI News Radio Network, uh, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Tune in next week with the Weekend Crunch. We have a great show lined up. We'll have a great show lined up for you guys. We'll have special guests. And I want to give a shout-out to um, the, the special guests that we had on the show, NFL and CFL quarterback Donald McPherson. He gave us some good intake uh, and uh, with uh, the college game and how, how college players should or should not get paid and his book. So shout out to Donald McPherson uh, for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Eric Coleman saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.